Welcome to the Uzima Health and Wellness Podcast. What did the doctor say? Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you. How you doing? I'm all right. This is Black History Month. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'll be plowing through COVID, right? Yeah, yeah. And we almost towards the end of it. Uh, you know, the Black History Month. I don't know about COVID, though. I know, right? And, um, you know, it's. I was just thinking it's unbelievable that it was about this time that we heard grumblings of this infection, right? Mm -hmm. Almost a year later, and we're trying to figure out the vaccines and moving forward and questions about strands. Uh, So here we are, right? Here we are. Yes, yes, yes. We, you know, this time last year, I didn't think that we would still be dealing with this like this. No. No, no, I, uh, I, I thought this would, you know, this would be a little some. We'll get this right, and uh, we'll be back at it by the time we get to the fall. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. You know. So, needless to say, it's taken a toll on a lot of people. So, I want to thank you for um, participating again with another Uzima Health and Wellness interview. Sure, uh, sure, sure. Really, really appreciate um, any feedback from a. Uh, Black male psychiatrist, uh, and uh, it's important um, to hear um, and check in about our mental health state. I don't think there could ever be enough conversation and support out there given this um, time right now. Um, it's real, ain't it? Oh, it's it's real. You uh-huh. know, it, as it used to, as it was said, it's <laughs> on and popping, and it's still popping. You know, it's yeah. traumas won't stop. Uh huh. You know, it's uh, continual and it's and it's and it's become chronic. You know, normally you're not under stress like this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for such a long time. And, and the problem with the community is that this is now going on for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, this fear is real. That's out there for a year, mm-hmm. and we haven't gotten a handle on the pandemic. You know, so it still can come out and bite and get you. You know, I was. Uh, today, before we started speaking, listening mm-hmm. to the news, you know, mm-hmm. and it's been a full hour. Uh, they had a 30 minute uh, special for the local news on mm-hmm. what's yeah. going on with COVID. Okay. Uh, and and to say that it's still dominating the topic that they would de- de- dedicate the entire news 30 minutes mm-hmm. for the evening to COVID means that we're still dealing with it. And right. um, sadly, you see that you know, people are getting tired of it. You know, uh, COVID fatigue is set in. Many are not taking the precautions that they had taken before. But many are, um, many are, many people are taking the precautions that need to be done. So we, we have to look at that as well. Well, Napoleon, tell us about your practice. Tell us what you what, what your practice is again. So I'm in private practice in Houston, Texas, in the southeast southeastern Houston area. I see children, adolescents, and adults. Um, you know, I say that I tell people I'll see anybody at, at least once, mm-hmm. and you know, and and pretty much we do a general psychiatry practice mm-hmm. uh, here. I've been in practice, private practice now for 17 years, mm-hmm. from the Houston area. Uh, graduated from Willow Ridge High School, went to Purdue A&M University, Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. I did my adult and child residency and fellowship at UTMB in Galveston. And I've been in private practice ever since I finished. All right, all right, thank you. I want to, given that history, I'm gonna sidestep you before we get into the heart of things. 
because you know I, I won't keep you because I know we'll talk all, all night, but let's talk, you know, you're a product of the HBCU, you know, and I always want to give uh, the HBCUs a shout out and an uplifting. Um, Prayer View A&M, I think is, um, you know, has been doing an outstanding job. I had the opportunity to take care of somebody from Tuskegee, you know, university. I thought, you know, I told her, I said, you know, Tuskegee has been a tour de force. Uh, you, you, you know, you, you, they have continued to do what they do best and that's produce good graduates. And mm -hmm. I think the same thing about uh, Prayer View A&M, you continue to, without all the fanfare, continue to improve the campus, improve the quality of education. Uh, you have an outstanding president now who uh, was over Brown University, uh, who has a vision. Um, and I think that uh, Prayer View deserves a big um, applause uh, and a big uh, moment of uh, recognition, particularly during Black History Month. Uh, but the school has been doing an outstanding job, would you say? Oh, definitely. So realizing that half of the Black people, half of Black uh, students who get into medical school come out of Prairie View in the state of Texas. Okay. So this is a, you know, the school does a humongous effort in supplying young African-American talent and producing that. Mm -hmm. And it's been doing that for a century. Right. And so often we overlook the power of these schools and what they mean to overall black health mm -hmm. uh, and black education. You know, too often we just don't pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see more, more attention come to it as of late with, with the new president at Prairie View. You, you look at her accolades and where she comes from, the people that she knows. Uh, and that has been a huge boost to the, to the, you know, to, to Prairie View, uh, financially, uh, and, and by, you know, looks in the media right. to have a person of that, of that level of prominence in that position, you know, because when you're the, you know, when you've been president of Ivy League school, then you have access to other individuals. You've been, right. then you have access to other boards. You've right. been at the same table with people who have, funding and money and, right. and and so by having that um you know sadly good and bad you know makes her uh dr ruth simmons a um a unicorn right you know and to have her at the university is very powerful for the organization uh for the students the ability to attract that a type of attention and money right. uh is something that all hbcus need and, and the fact is that they've been very much underfunded and, and, and the, that systemic racism also hits the organ, those uh, educational organizations. So 70% of black doctors went to an HBCU. Right, that's outstanding to know. I, I didn't yeah. know that, so thank you. Uh, quick question in terms of, you know, coming out of the Houston community, I mean, you had, you know, one thing about Houston is it has an array of schools. You could have went to Houston Baptist, you could have went to Rice, you could have went to University of Houston. Uh, what made you think about, you know what, as a young black man, I need to go to an HBCU? Well, you know, I was part of it is my whole family, mo most of the family went to Prairie View. So my mom and dad went there, my, my sister went there, a whole host of cousins uh, mm -hmm. and other family members. I had a great uncle who went there. My grandfather helped put bricks on some of the buildings. Oh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if some of the slaves in the, you know, in the back there maybe family members you know, possibly. so my family is from that area we, we've gone to school there and and that's made it huge for us i was a, you know i was a good student coming out of out of high school 
So I got accepted in the UT and I got accepted in the Texas A&M, uh, Lamar. I had a full ride to go to University of Houston, but I chose Prairie View because I wanted to be a, a doctor. Yes. And Prairie View had a very high success rate of having black people who become doctors. Wow. So if that is what your goal is, I don't see why you would go somewhere else that does not do well what you're trying to do. Right. So it made sense. Um, one, because it's an HBCU, uh, two, because the family gone now, but thirdly, that was what my goal was, is what they were good at doing. Okay. Um, so UT does not put Black people in the medical school at the rate that Prairie View does. That's awesome to know. And so, and, and along with that, Prairie View has one of the highest rates of people going, of pre-medical um, students going to medical school for the entire state, including uh, PWI uh, institutions, wow. primarily white and, you know, predominantly white institutions, it outperforms them. I think it may be only second to rice, right. for, you know, for pe getting people into medical school. So I've even seen where there's more than just black people at that pre-med program. Right. You know, uh, when you get, when you're on the gold mine, many people can look past race and look past it being HBCU and say, say to themselves, well, they're getting people in the medical school. I want to go to the school that's getting people in the medical school right. uh, who has an excellent pre-med program. So with an HBCU comes the nurturing, you know, the love, the professors are not there just teaching you. You're not just a number. They like sincerely are there because they want you to be successful mm -hmm. and they're going to do everything within their power to make sure they do that. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you wonderfully. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I know I've had some problems with this computer and I had it worked on. Just wanted no, to make it's sure. fine. Now, but then you then said, not only do I want to go to medical school, but I'm going to pick an historically black university for my medical school education. Now, was that a different decision tree as well or the same concept? I want to be a doctor and I want to be nurtured and I want to make sure that my esteem is intact as I go through this process. Yeah. Well, yes, definitely. You know, when I went to apply for medical school, I had gotten accepted into several and um, not all of them. The process was a little bit thicker, you know, trying to get into medical school than it was undergrad. Mm -hmm. But um, I was I was really between UTMB and, and right. my area. And I was really like UTMB. And part of the reason I like UTMB is because they had a high number of black yes, medical students. Yes, and so you had to be, you have to be conscious of being black. You know, that's just the fact. You don't want to ignore that, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're trying to, to go to school on a professional level. You already know it's going to be difficult. The, you don't want to have to run into hard winds of racism mm -hmm. on the way. So mm -hmm. there were some schools that I just did not apply to. Right. You know, I would say, how many Black students did you all have come to your school? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, out of, uh, you know, a medical school class of 200, you know, 50, we had four. And my mm -hmm. question is, well, how, you know, we, they say we average about three to five, I would say four. Mm -hmm. I said, on average, how many of them uh, graduate? Right. What's your graduating class like? Mm -hmm. And they would say some of them would be like about two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. I'm like, hold on. That means that half of the black people who go to your school mm -hmm. don't graduate from mm -hmm. medical school. I don't want to go to a medical school where half the black people don't graduate mm -hmm. because the fact is that in order to be accepted in the medical school, you have to have shown to have the aptitude to be there. Right. So you've killed the careers of half of the black people who go there. You know, mm -hmm. if you've got 250 people at your school per class and only 125 are graduating, 
mm-hmm. then you should not be a medical school. Right. You know, so you have to look at those numbers. Yeah. And so um, so I, I, I did want to go somewhere that had good numbers for black, black, pre black, black medical students. Uh, but then on top of that, Meharry just felt like a family. You know, it felt like, you know, it felt like a, a lot of like a lot like Prairie View. Yes. Um, and it felt like a family and it felt like a home. Right. And, I, and, I, and it had a 98 percent matriculation rate. Right. Which 98 percent is a lot better than 50 percent. Like I'm so, in that number. I'm in that number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you like, you know what? I think I could be 98. I think you know, I could. Yeah, because I'm sure those people who are not making it through yes, school in the Midwest, I'm not even going to say the name of it. I'm sure those students who are going to your school in the Midwest are not knowing or not believing that they would be heading, they had a 50% chance of heading home. Correct, correct. And correct. what is going on inside of your school that it cannot hold on to as black students? Either y'all are admitting the wrong people mm-hmm. or there's something happening when they get there. During the process. Yes, during the process. And I'm not going to be a part of that. I was talking to a person yesterday who did an MBA. Right. And they worked really, really hard and um, they missed the honor society because it was one of those programs where you go once, once a month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an executive MBA. You go once a month and it's an all day, you know, well, you go for a weekend, you go three days straight, you know, right. intensely. And they had to miss one day. So they missed honor, they missed the honor society because you couldn't miss a day mm-hmm. in order to be an honor society. And they found out towards the end of their graduation that their classmates all had the tests and quizzes. Mm-hmm. So as they were studying hard mm-hmm. and making A's, their classmates were making A's but already they, she didn't realize that they were getting information from the class before mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. you know? And so you find that th- there are things like that that can occur at some of these schools right. where as a person of color, you may be getting left out, yes. uh, but also, you know, that you, you want to be the person who knows, you know, your stuff as well. The last thing you want to do is go to a school and be unprepared and come out as a professional who's not ready to do the work. So, you know, it, it's important to make sure that you're somewhere where uh, where you know the culture is conducive, that you'll come out with, right. with the same reason why you went in. You know, that's, I mean, and, and that's some of the points you're, you're making. I went to University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio. I was uh, one of uh, 10 black uh, students that were admitted for a class of 200. Uh, but I would say that um, I was asked, you know, would you come here because we don't graduate a large number of black uh, medical uh, students? Um, you know, I wanted to go. I, uh, my uh, interviewer was a Hispanic uh, professor who said we are dedicated uh, to increasing the numbers. And once you, once I got in, I accepted uh, because what I told someone else whose son is looking at medical school and waffling, but I said, you know, it's hard to turn down a, a yes. You know, it's harder mm-hmm. to turn that down. So um, I took it in faith. And the first round of exams were difficult and demoralizing and depressing. But uh, because I went to an undergraduate school that you had to go meet the professor, I found the professor and I found all the resources. But I will tell you, I don't think that that is... Um, something that everyone does. I mean, the ones we graduated six out of 10, like you're saying. So I had a certain skill set, and some people who did not utilize that in terms of talking and getting into the, getting in the know, uh, and then finding out where the exams were, where the study groups help sessions were. 
I utilize those for dear life. Uh, but you have to get in the know to get through the process, right? Yes. And it is upsetting to see uh, you come in with 10, we graduate five, you know, and one is going to graduate, but they have to repeat. So, you know, they did graduate. So technically you graduated six. So again, the, what is happening during that process? And also when you come out on the other end, are you whole? So that leads me to my other question tonight is, you know, as we're talking about going through the school system, our schools are shut down. Mm -hmm. And we have to think about the process, you know, this, this effect that it's having on our children. And I'd like to uh, give you a chance to expound on the, the um, closure of schools and children and, the, and how this can affect our, uh, how it is affecting our children. You know, and, and I definitely want to, um, let me give a, a, a shameless plug for my new book. Oh, yes. I want to start. I was going to get yeah. to your book. Yes, do that. Grief's Journey to Joy, a okay. story about grief and depression. And we talk about COVID. Uh, there's a discussion put the about book back up, Napoleon. Put the book back up so we can see it. And where can we get the book? This is on Amazon. Oh, wonderful. Breeze Journey to Joy. Week. Okay. I love it. I love it. It okay. just came out last last week. We just okay. got it published. Breeze and the, the, Joy. And, and, what I would say is that it, the, the impact is huge, you know, and realizing that whatever happens in the United States to black Americans happens within the area of the systemic racism. So what happens to one group versus another has a lot to do, sadly, you know, with all the factors that go in with race. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, you know, and, 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 and I can help mitigate some of that because of finances is that say my daughter is in school, all right? Mm -hmm. And so with school being out and working virtually, if she's struggling, then I've got the financial resources, yes. one, to pay for a tutor, mm -hmm. but be two, be two, because she has two professionals inside the home, we yes. can help her work through a lot of those things. Right. So when you look at socioeconomics, and if you don't have the money for a tutor to help your child keep up, mm -hmm. or you don't have the ability financially I mean, you you don't have the education to help your child keep up. Mm -hmm. Plus, you're working one or two jobs, you know, or if you're working two jobs, so you don't have the time to spend with your child. Um, and then, if you don't have, you know, good internet, you know, so far as you don't have internet, or if you do have internet, is it powerful enough to make sure that it can carry Zoom calls and things of that sort? If do you have extra computers around the house, especially if you have more than one child, because you have you have people at home. Well, they got three kids trying to work off one computer, you know, yeah. and then they're getting counted absent for not being there online. Well, the fact is that we only have one computer in the home or they're trying to go to the, go to school over through a cell phone. Right. You know, um, and, and that is not adequate enough. So the issue of resources uh, become a problem, especially when you look at African-American communities and other minority communities where people don't have the money. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, that that becomes a problem. The, this, the education, the school systems that too often we as black people are in are typically underfunded. So therefore, you have those issues. And then you look at the problems, you know, coming from the homes um, to where, you know, do, does the family take school seriously? Even if they do, do they have the time? Do they have the money? Do they have the resources? Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of people being left out on the fringe, especially when times are stressful like they are.
Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, so race, poverty, all that can come into account when you're looking at, you know, um, communities of color, you know, you know, other parents marry. If you're a single parent during this two period of time, it's a little bit more difficult than if you have a parent, you know, I'm working two jobs, I'm working one job, but, you know, I'm on nights, but I can be home during the day. So mm -hmm. even though I'm tired, I'm sleepy, I'm resting, they can at least tap me on the shoulder and say, mommy, that the, the computer is not working and I can at least engage. Mm -hmm. So all of these factors all come together uh, and can impact how how our kids do during this period of time where they're off from school. Mm -hmm. So what we've what we've seen is this assumption, and I wrote a piece called "There Are No Children Here," meaning that you know, as I thought about the fact that we we were creating these these um, oh well, we can just uh, you know have online school, or we can just um, um, you know give these school um, agendas the way we normally would would do them and um, everything is fine as if you know we don't have to account for these factors single parents parents who work different hours uh, parents who are not capable of uh, constructively teaching their child because that's not what they everybody can't do that you know um, you know that we all of a sudden said this will work and also forgetting that school is a safety net for kids, uh, preventing them from uh, injury uh, or abuse, and also getting them to someone like you because of depression. And so our depressive behavior or any type of behavior that is outside the norm, is, it can be picked up and where kids spend most of their time. That is at school, as you mentioned before, this is what they have to do this is their world, this is their job, uh, is school at this age. And now all of a sudden it's being taken away from them. My question to you is, I want you to describe depression in kids. Um, you can take an age range for us. And what does that look like? And I'm, and I'm not, and, and just give us some descriptions of what, what that looks like. Well, understand that depression can occur at any age. And I've seen it, you know, at very young ages, especially when you're looking at issues of loss. And a lot of children, people don't realize, are suffering loss right now. Mm. And that your whole life has changed and what would be normal is no longer there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a kid, school is everything. That, that's, that is what you do as a kid. And all of a sudden now school is gone. Right. So, you know, in the story of Bree, we talk about how she goes away for spring break and look and is looking forward to a vacation. And, you know, for her, her grandmother gets sick and passes away because of of an illness. And we don't say what the illness is, but also the loss of I'm no longer seeing my friends anymore. Mm -hmm. So my circle of my view or my globe of life is all of a sudden switched and changed suddenly. And it never went back to normal. Definitely. You know, it's one thing where we, you know, you have a hurricane and you're out for two or three days. Right. But no, this is something where it's been, we've been out for a year. Right. And I can't get back to my circle. Mm -hmm. And so everything is now shifted and a lot of kids are suffering loss. And so there, there's normal bereavement of loss of a loved one. And there's bereavement of loss of a career. There's bereavement of loss of friends. And there's bereavement of loss of school. Mm -hmm. You know, all of that is going on. Mm -hmm. But then there's depression. And so the difference between the bereavement of loss and depression is lack of functionality. So a lot of kids are losing function so far as I'm having difficulty sitting in front of the, so I'm here and I'm in front of the camera, but I can't seem to listen. 
I'm trying to concentrate, but I can't lock in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are there are you know normally when I would be in the school and somebody could see that I'm sad, they really can't see my sadness through the through the camera itself. Yes. But what they may notice is that I'm less likely to be on the camera, or if they can't ask for my name, I've been asleep with my head over here, and now I'm picking up, and there's been a change in behavior on the camera. But you know, kids will have difficulty with their sleep, uh, so far as not sleeping or sleeping too much, maybe start losing weight, appetite issues, not being interested in school or even activities to do with the family, uh, even during the uh, pandemic. Uh, you know, uh, feeling worthless or not feeling like they're good enough, they start to worry about their future and what will happen in my future or will I have a future because I'm having difficulty academically keeping up and this is all that I do and I can't even lock in on what I need to do. Uh, Will we ever go back to school? You know, the worry, worry. family members. Mm. A lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, people think about, well, I lost my mom or uh, I lost my spouse, but the, the child is, you know, lost their grandmother or lost their dad. And normally that's like the first experience of a sincere loss is more, more than likely a grandparent, mm-hmm. but a loss of everything that I know. And mm-hmm. so that loss of functionality, that sadness, that depression, that poor mood, that laziness is not always like the kid doesn't care. The kid may really be impacted by the mental health effect of what is going on. And it's been chronic now. These are very much unprecedented times right, for kids right. to be facing this for such an extended period. I think you you, you hit something, uh, you know, that people are not, not uh, clear, hadn't been touched before. The loss of function in the child, that you see this child just existing in this world, but are they functioning? And not only are we taking away the academics, we also took away the activities that creates imbalance. And we talk about learning and learning has to happen for children. You can see it, you can hear it, but you also have to do something. You have that type of kinetic type of learning that some kids thrive on. And then they're able to translate that back into books. There's a big circle between that type of kinetic learning and and static learning. so thank you. That's that's a very good point that I think kids that people are missing, and also that yes, parent, when these, we see grandparents and in, uh, uh, in this older generation passing due to COVID, we are forgetting that or emphasizing that yes, children are impacted because these could be uh, great aunts, great uncles. Uh, you know that big hug in church that you used to love to get, you don't have that as well. So um, I, I I think that um, we have to also think about. Um, uh, behaviors. We've been seeing some outrageous behaviors, uh, and I want to uh, talk about it briefly. I know it's a legal case, but everyone was shocked at the behavior of the uh, kids in Louisiana, and uh, that was in uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, where the the young uh, teenagers, the 12, 14, and I think a 15 year they stabbed another young uh, girl um, in the Walmart. Um, and that, and, 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 it, and I don't want to get into the sensationalism of it, uh, because what we definitely have to appreciate or as physicians we appreciate is, and, and the police force said, this is a, a parent problem. This is um, something deeper than, than, than policing, right? Um, and as a child psychiatrist, I thought that you could weigh in briefly on the uh, concept of death 
that these young people may have, uh, where they may be in their mental state um, and criminality? And do you think that this is, a, this is uh, something that's uh, increasing because of the environment we're in? They're not in a constructive environment. Uh, you know, definitely, I would say so. You see, you know, realizing that when kids are in school, they're in a, a, in a structured environment. Mm -hmm. All right. So essentially, you see people who are passing away or who are dying, like, say, during a daylight hour on a Wednesday. Well, normally this, key, you know, I forget what time of day that that particular yeah. issue was. Yeah, but, early. you know, I, I thought it was during the week. Well, right. normally these kids would be in school. Right. All right. And around adult supervision around adult mentors and things of that sort, um, you know, and, and, and so by losing school and losing that structure, and as you stated, some kids are kinetic learners. They've clearly found that kids learn better inside of the classroom than they do virtual. Right. That is a clear fact. But sadly, some schools are not cutting any slack for that. You know, that, that these kids are really trying hard, but they're struggling. But that, that loss of connection, that loss of human co uh, connection, mm -hmm. If yeah. a child is having a problem, many times, if they're, you know, they would be acting out in the classroom, and if the, they're acting out in the classroom, then essentially a teacher or an adult would have seen that mm. or picked up on it, mm. or they may have been referred to, you know, the counselor or even to the assistant principal. That's right. And then there would have been a conversation on what's going on between you and, you know, and this individual, and there's a discussion, and then if there's a problem further, you talk with the parents, and there's a level of supervision going on, even within this, uh, it, even within that group, because of the anger has been picked up by someone else. Mm -hmm. But by not being in school, people can't see you. No one picked it up. You know, I don't know. Maybe these two girls would have ran track or been on a, the debate team, or may have been cheerleaders, or whatever it may have been, or just been in the class together in third period, and something would have popped off, and somebody would have said something. But right. without that supervision, too sadly, you can't pick it up. And and these issues of violence in the black community are well, you know, are, are well, you know, are no. well not talked about to me enough. Mm. They're talked about, but you know, we we still have this level of violence. And where is that coming from? And you have to look at where these young ladies are so far as their 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 love of themselves, you know, and their love of you can't love others if you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at where do they see themselves in life and in society? Because if you don't see yourself later, it's hard to see yourself now in that the need to in the need to stay away from those type of behaviors. Right. Because obviously one person is dead and the other lives are completely ruined. Right. These these young ladies won't be the same anymore uh, right. because of what has occurred. Everybody will know them for this. Um, and, and, and this will follow you throughout your life. It will be, you know, even they say if juvenile records are sealed. It's only sealed for a general search on Google, but trust me, somebody can find your juvenile record, and it does matter. Right. So, and then, and then the, and then lastly, I would say in the black community, too often, you know, even with our music, uh, we celebrate violence. Yes. And how we handle violence, mm -hmm. and you hear it from the male rappers, the female rappers, and trust me, more people rap than what you're hearing on the radio. But this is what is allowed to be played, and those decisions are not made by black people. 95% of all black urban music you hear on the radio is decided by white people, mm -hmm. you know, of what they believe will sell. And I think that also I would say it's a little bit even beyond that, yeah. what they want to be sell, what they want to be sold and what wants to be said. Mm -hmm. And to and I know that rappers and entertainers are not 
are not, you know, our people that we should look up to. But the fact is that they're the people that we see. Right. And and that 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 common language of, you know, of talking down to people. Yes. Or even I'll, I'll hear rappers talk down to the people who are listening, listening to the music. <laughs> I'm like, why are people, you know, why? Why is that? You know, what, what does that make sense of? We're a long way from Run DMC. Yeah, we're a long way we're from We're a long that. way from Run DMC at Astroworld. Uh, Do you, did, you, did you go to Astroworld? Oh, yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah, yes, right, ma right. And you had to go to Run DMC, just a little Houdini. I mean, I feel old. I can't, I mean, you know, I don't want to bash any rappers. I, I mean, do your thing. You know, we are creative people. But I will say that we, I was listening to one song that I, I like the beat and I'm just jamming. I said, wait a minute, wait, 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 what am I? Yeah, you start what paying attention. I, what am I jamming to? And before I knew it, it had just so much, uh, the message had was just on the other side of, of, of misogynistic uh, B rating, uh, women, race, everything, you name it. And so that's, a, and, and you, we do have to, um, uh, you know, you know, we could talk about that issue all day, and that. Yeah. Well, the thing is that I'm not saying that there's not a place for that, you uh -huh. know, because there's a range of what is entertainment, but I'm to me the 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 it has been tilted now. Yes. So heavily towards that that you're not getting the full range and the scope of the black experience. Uh, yes. And too often for marginalized kids they're looking to someone and they look up to adults and they look up to people who have money and things of that sort. And, and sadly, I do believe that when it's being placed in your head over and over and over, it's hard to, to avoid it and not to look up to the lifestyle. But, you know, and then of course, you're still looking at what, what's going on with the parents, what's going on at home. Um, but a lot of this is kids not being in school yes. and being safe in a, in a safe place with adult supervision and oversight. I had a young lady who got in trouble just two days ago mm -hmm. of just not being in school. Mom's at work, they're loving parents, but then she met a boy online and next thing you know, the boy's coming over to the house and you know, and then drugs were involved, police showed up and she's like, my life is now ruined. Right, right. But if she would have been in school, not that could not have happened, but chance of that happening would have been so much lower because she would have been in a classroom with adult supervision. And, and that's a sad situation that we're seeing. You you said uh, something prior on a prior interview and, and talking was that number one, when kids are involved in serious issues and things, it's more than one kid. That 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 it didn't happen with just one person, one kid, it's it's, it's an influence. And um, you also spoke about um, the fact that, um, hold on, I'm, I'm blanking on thought. You talked about the fact that it had to be a group phenomenon. And these kids are also, the, that, that their, their behavior pattern in terms of what is right and what is wrong is also being set. And give us the age range you were talking about that in the house where the brain would say, uh-oh, this is not right. This is right, right from wrong. What, what, what was your age range for that? So essentially from when you're very young till about 10 to 11, you base your set of parameters of right and wrong based upon your family. But mm -hmm. after 11, you know, and you hit adolescence, 11, 12, 13, all the way up to about 21 to 23 is yes. based upon the peers that you are around. Around, there you go. Yes. So yes. here, and there you have it. And uh, sadly, what you'll find many times, one, if one girl is cool at, at Walmart, who's she gonna stand? 
And if she sees another girl, more, uh-huh. chances are is they're not going to break out and stab me. But you've got a friend prompting you on. Yes, yes. I wouldn't put up with that. I, you know, and what you going to do? And, and then it just escalates, escalates. And now you have a, a, a issue where a person has passed away and is dead. And, and that's very, you know, and so that that does matter on, you know, I remember hearing a cop say, you know, the, the you're in the wrong place at the wrong time mm-hmm. with the wrong people. Yes, bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so essentially you're at Walmart at a time when normally school would be going on mm-hmm. with the wrong folk around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now something bad has happened. Yeah. And now you're in a serious, a serious situation. So I always tell for adolescent kids, be careful. And that's true for an adults as well. Yes. Be careful who you hang around. Yes. Because it it matters. Now it we're matters. you 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 know you like you said this detachment from humanity and then this virtual world that is being you know again this, these children are now in this virtual environment. So you know just using that case as an example, these girls oh issued a you know oh we sorry uh, we didn't you know uh, on through the camera that everything was caught in this virtual environments. I think it was Snapchat. It was. Um, it was uh, on the phone, I mean, Facebook. Mm-hmm. They thought nothing of their dealings in terms of it being in the virtual environment. So we now have to, and a lot of crimes are being committed and, and the evidence is gathered virtually. And so, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a, a comment in terms of this, uh, this mindset that says it's okay to film and the, these these crimes or these bad behaviors uh, virtually, or even people even talk about you know certain things in this virtual environment. I mean, I grew up when things some things were just sacred or not said, or you had to find out. Well, you know, a lot of folk have been desensitized to oh. two things. You know, I, you know, I see a lot of things on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter where essentially like let's think of what the 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 uh what was the football player who hit his girlfriend inside of the uh, elevator that was a long time ago i forgot his name but i do know remember that yeah. yeah and and look at how many times it was viewed you know he didn't hit his girlfriend once when you look at the view count he hit his girlfriend 100 million times uh-huh. you know and so people looked at it over and over and over again and sometimes we think what's we don't look at what's going on in that camera is actually happening in somebody's life because you have this kind of two dimensional structure mm-hmm. and nobody sees the impact, the long lasting impact afterwards. Mm-hmm. So you find that people will videotape stuff and you'll see things online that I'm like, that's really cruel. Mm. That, did that person live? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's only a, it's only a, you know, an eight, minute, eight second clip mm-hmm. of what really changed somebody's entire life. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that some of this is being in this virtual world and a lack of human connection and touch uh you don't really get to know people uh like you would and you know i've even had people walk up to me you know because of my virtual presence and say (laughs) hey you know and they speak to me like like they know me and i'm like you know i'm like how do i know you oh i saw you on instagram you know you do this thing on the such and such and such and they'd be like hey how you doing you know and i'm like i I really don't feel like we know each other (laughs) just because we seen each other yeah. Or you saw a few posts doesn't make us friends yeah, and I so uh friends on facebook don't make us friends i got right? you. i got yeah. you. so i think that sometimes we're losing that social connection mm-hmm. and that that lack of humanity because it matters mm-hmm. it matters yeah. okay. 
let me ask you this. There's a comment about um, us not, uh, Black people not um, accepting mental illness um, as, our, as our reality. And I, I had to ask myself, I really don't interview or talk to a white person about their mental health or a Latino person about their mental health or any other person. I only know my own community. So I don't know if we need to have a cross-cultural conversation or is it that white people have a better access to mental health or we, in your opinion, as the expert, really believe that black people do not accept mental health diagnoses? I would say that black people, to me, don't accept it as widely as other, as white people, but mm -hmm. no one accepts it as widely as white people. And realizing that not all white people accept that there's an issue of mental illness, all mm -hmm. right? So um, I would say the numbers are lower, but I would, I, would, I would also definitely say that the numbers are growing of black people who are seeking help right now because we're talking about it. You know, you're talking about it on this platform. I talk about it on my platform. And I've seen the number of blacks getting help and number of black men coming in for mental health care has increased as well mm -hmm. with these conversations. So these conversations actually, these conversations actually do matter and we have to continue to have them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of black people, honestly, I, you know, it's hard for me to take I look at the historical context, so I don't take it out of the historical context of where we come from and what has happened to us. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of us not talking about mental health directly comes from slavery, where mm -hmm. you didn't talk about what happened. You know, essentially, um, if if you know, one, I don't own my own body, and how you know I can't protect my family, I can't protect myself, mm -hmm. and so essentially, if you know, if if master called my wife, um, you know and she didn't come back until the middle of the night, that was not a conversation about what happened. We just stayed quiet yes, and we may yes. have just held each other or, or, or sat alone and just kept it moving because you never know, depending upon what master is like, he may have called the man in himself. Yeah, right. You know, so that, that, that issue of not being having ownership or somebody being able to sell your kids off and the pain of that, and you're just trying to get through life without talking about the shame and the pain and things of that sort. And I think that uh, some of our behavior comes from that shame and that pain uh, from the past. And we've drawn it out to now where we still don't talk about it. Yeah, okay. Where, you know, your spouse comes home and he's angry and you don't know why he's angry. Yes. You know, and, and the thing is that, it, you know, how's the job going? It's going all right. Well, you knew you just got disrespected by someone where you were not in the power to stand up and to say something because if we need to pay this mortgage note, we need to send these kids to school. And I just can't go off and say what I want to say, even though I felt like I got slighted at the job or, you know, I know that I'm working as an engineer and I'm making say 68,000 when I know the engineers around me, black women physicians on average make a hundred thousand dollars less than white male physicians doing the same job. And you're angry about it. But, you know, what are you going to say about it? We're going to, I'm going to get mad about it and yell about it every night? Or do I internalize this issue? Or somebody said something sexual that was inappropriate? Right. You know, um, you know, black women, sure, you can sure tell how they look. They still look good in them white clothes. That right. is, you know, that inappropriate statement. Or, you know, well, listen, I had a young man to tell me the other day, he just started residency. Mm -hmm. uh, and they told him in his second week that he would need to repeat his entire rotation on his second week of residency saying wow. that he was performing as a medical student. Wow, second week. Second week. 
like I I just got my name bashed the first week. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And you're telling okay. me that I failed the entire rotation of two months mm-hmm. on the second week and I cannot complete the rotation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that angers you. And then what do you tell? Well, he's not married, but as a girlfriend, what do you tell your girlfriend about you that? Parents. You got parents who've invested in you as well. Yes. You've got parents. You, you now are in fear of not finishing residency or, or switching or changing or now what do I do? And sadly, now you're putting them in a vulnerable position where you do whatever they say do, yes. even if it's not right. Yeah. And then you got to take that shame with you of knowing that you're being mistreated because of your race back home to your family and your house. Yeah. And how do you, and there's a woman expecting you to perform well. And, you know, and she has a lot, you know, while you're in residency, she's working and you're not coming through with your part. And how do you talk about that, that shame and that pain? And, and a lot of times we bottle it up and we don't let it out. And, and so we don't even know to go to a professional about it. I had a friend of mine, he was a professional male who, you know, uh, finished residency, started a job and just got completely done wrong. And he was angry at, about George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know, he was like, man, something is bothering me and I don't know what it is. And then we started just talking, you know, we just professionals talking and he talked about how the look on that officer's face reminded him Mm -hmm. of the white admin person who helped him get released from his job, Mm -hmm. which was they didn't fire him, but basically they showed him the door about information that was not even true Mm -hmm. that she had made up and it completely changed the direction of his career. Yes. And he never talked to his wife. He talked to his wife. He was upset about it. But that internal pain was bothering him so much that he was like, man, I'm having like this anxiety, this panic attacks. I'm not sleeping and not realizing that it was the past trauma. And, he, and you know, you know what he told me? He never told anybody about that. He but it was, triggered by, he, it was triggered by seeing the, the George Floyd incident. The George Floyd incident where the officer didn't care. Right. right. But what I'm saying is, you know, because... You know, this is a you given you've given me examples of professional black uh, people, but what I want people to understand is this: what the, despite your socioeconomic level, that we all pretty much whether you are female working at you know a fast food joint, you know, or my brother who I have a brother who works at the hospital at Methodist, you know, uh, another brother works at the chemical plants. Another brother in the Air Force. What I'm saying, what I hear from them too is, you know, it doesn't matter across all socioeconomic schemes. You know, you enter into this work working environment, you know, giving it a good go. And again, we we keep having these experiences of dehumanization and devaluing, and we do uh, it does accumulate, um, and throughout the day, which could lead us to, you know, who knows, you know, late 40s, 50s you know, with depressive type symptoms. Maybe we got through our teenage years functioning okay and college years functioning okay. You know, made the family and everything seemed fine. And the next thing you know, why am I upset? Why am I easily agitated? Why am I um, not functioning like I should be in society? And I think that's, uh, you know, we, we again, you know, I love uh, talking with you uh, more and more. And I'm, I'm going to... Uh, I think that's a good point to, to emphasize that we have this trauma and these these uh, incidences with Black Lives Matter bring them up and it doesn't matter what socioeconomic uh, level you are in society as Black people. And, and 
the 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 you know my wife just told me before we got as we as I was heading to get on this camera here she was telling me how one of the Jack and Jill moms had a stroke today oh sorry. you know and you look at black people and despite our so what's odd about us we're the only group in America that despite how much more money you make you don't necessarily live longer correct correct and, and that's, that's from that trauma is cumulative mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's real it's, it's sometimes it's small slights and other times it's big slights, mm -hmm. you know, where I, you know, I'm, I think of a sister who was working at a, uh, a blue collar job that pays well, a chemical plant, mm -hmm. and she kept being treated, mis mistreated by the men there, mostly white men. Yes. Uh, who said, well, for every time that you're here on the job, that could have been a white man making the same money who really needed the money. Wow. And so she's like, well, I went to school. I'm a professional. You know, I grew up around the plant. Why can't I work at the plant and just be able to work at the plant? Well, when you're hearing this, you know, it, it, it pulls on you and you end up with medical consequences of that. That stress builds up. And sadly, oddly enough, there's a certain level where as black people, once you make a certain amount of money, your life expectancy starts to go down. If you look at black billionaires and multimillionaires, mm -hmm. They don't live as long on average as a black person who's upper middle class. Their life, there's, and so the thought is that, why is that? Yeah. And because you're, you're, you've lost your culture and your community. And that goes back to going to an HBCU. I always have the support of my culture and my community of people that I could identify with. Yes. I know when I went to UTMB, which was my first time around majority <laughs> white people. That's right. That was my first time. And they all loved friends. Yes. And they would talk about friends yes. and I would watch friends because they did, because I wanted to be able to communicate with my peers. Right. But friends came on when Martin came on. <laughs> no, right. I was like, wait a minute. I was watching Martin. I was like, I didn't watch friends. Martin was <laughs> funny. To me, friends was never and funny. Living single and living single. And, and, they living and But I wouldn't have anything to talk about with my peers because they didn't watch what I watched, <laughs> but I, I would record what I, I would record one and watch the other. You know, and, and so I could keep up with what was at going the, on. At the water cooler, you had something to say. Oh, yeah. I had some, oh, yeah. She did such and such and such. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen with him. And I'm like, man, I really don't care, man. It's so hard to watch. I keep falling asleep. Dog fighting. You know, I'm probably going to record Friends simply so I can get through uh, commercials faster. But, yeah, but, but the sad thing is that we lose that nurturing as we make more money. That's why it's important for us to have these conversations, right. these virtual conversations for now, but fraternities and sororities and churches and homegirls and, and family, all that is important to the black experience yeah. because actually yeah, there's safety in that. There's safety in that. And I'm there's I, safety in that. I think that you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. I think that our youth now are beginning to seek out that safety. I think they are coming full circle and emphasizing their, their desires uh, to go to HBCUs. And I think that after this pandemic, we, will, we may see a surge in applicants to HBCUs because you know this whole coldness in the virtual environment. I mean, I think the, we, 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 the prayer is that we would get back to hum, uh, humanity and wanting to be a family. And, and all of this is to safeguard you know, our uh, longevity as a people. Um, and I think that, um, you know, we have to continue to be mindful of, you know, depression and our, that how this COVID environment, this, this virtual environment due to COVID has really increased that amongst us. 
So I'm going to let you say some final words and then I'll let you go because we'll talk all night. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I appreciate the, the ability to be on tonight. And the fact is this, we've already had issues in the black community, Correct. Right, which have always been there. And mm -hmm. then we had COVID and then we had the election. Then we had the insurrection. Uh, we have kids out of school. We have a high rate of death going on. I know in Texas, it got cold here. It, it was freezing. Oh, yeah. All right. Without lights. About that. And then, so you got the trauma on type of trauma, on top of trauma, on top of life, on top of racial slights, on type of sexual slights. All of that, you know, all of that is going on and it's causing what is a mental health pandemic. Yes. And it's hitting all races. All right. Uh, and, but it's specifically hitting more black people. You're they right. found from 2019 to 2020, um, White people live 1% less long as they did in 2019 than they did in 2020. But for black people, it's, you know, it, that 1% is 3%. Right. So right. We're, we're, being hit, we're being hit in multiple directions. Those problems have always been there and we, we must address them. We must talk about them. We must pay close attention to our diet and our exercise and our sleep and our de-stressing and you know go to church virtually online make sure you get outside and walk breathe some good air have some good conversations try to find a place to enjoy yourself uh and make sure that you take care of you right now is the time to make sure that you're taking care of yourself optimal give us your book again dr napoleon higgins breathe journey to joy love yes. it. and it is on amazon it is on amazon right now as we speak now also i want to make mention if you go if you look up global health psychiatry on facebook we have a three launch event friday night we have a friday night party so you know um that starts i believe at 8 30 friday night party uh we have a on saturday we have an 11 a.m book reading for children where we go through the book and go through the discussion of it. And then on Monday night, uh, we will be having at 8 p.m., uh, we'll be having uh, a libation ceremony, uh, you know, to honor those who've passed away. And then we're going to be talking specifically about childhood grief, depression during this COVID era. So yeah, we'll be going- that, will, that, will that be on your website? Uh, say the website again, please. It's GH as in global health, ghpsychiatry.com. Or if you do a search on Facebook for global health psychiatry. Mm -hmm. So we say global is you, the globe of you, mm -hmm. global health psychiatry. And all of the information and login information is on there. Awesome. I thank you. And I would like for Uzima and global health psychiatry to unite so that whatever you put out on there, it will can interface and therefore they can log in from both places. So we'll figure that out and all this whole platform thing but I will definitely, I want to see the, uh, the, the Saturday will be the uh, read, read along with the book. Yes. That will be specifically that book. That's excellent. Okay. We'll definitely be there. Uzima Health and Wellness will be there. Thank you. Thank you so Good much. Night. I appreciate you. Good All night. Right. Bye -bye. Good night.